Well, good morning, church family. It is certainly a blessing to be here again. I'm going to call out one of you guys. Um, so, so, like, three weeks ago, I was checking the uh, the podium mic here <laughs> before the service starts, and Mr. Ramzina is standing in the back, and he calls up to me. He says, are you going to be preaching the sermon this morning? And I said, no, would you like me to? And without hesitation, I'm not even kidding, he said, no, no. <laughs> uh, well, well, I'm here now. <laughs> so, um, so I want to begin. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me, I'm Gage Weeby. I've been attending here since I was probably two years old. Uh, and about 11 months ago, I preached a sermon here uh, on Psalm 103. It was entitled, Bless the Loving Lord, which, as a reminder, I need a reminder of this as well a lot of the time. We have a church website that has all of the sermons that have, well, pretty much all of the sermons that have ever been preached, either on recording or on a video or some sort of transcript somewhere. Uh and I often forget that, so I thought I'd remind you guys as well if you want to listen to that sermon or uh, any others. Uh, well, when I began that sermon, I started by looking back at my childhood, specifically the effects that scripture memorization had on my life today. And we're going to be looking back a little bit now as well, except for not going to be looking back 11 years, we're going to be looking back 11 months. And uh, three days after I preached that sermon on Psalm 103, I left for the University of Alabama. Um, so that has been a lot of my inspiration for preaching this sermon. Uh, Steve confronted me and said, like, hey, would you like to preach a sermon? And of course I jumped at the opportunity. I pretty much already knew what I was going to preach on just because this passage uh, that I'm going to be opening up for you today Um I've used it a lot down there. It's been very near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's something that's really gotten me through college, if I'm being entirely honest. You'll, you'll find out more about that uh, as I continue. Um, but he really wanted me to have some sort of inspiration for what I wanted to preach on that tied into college anyways. And so it kind of worked really, really well. And while I was in college, I was part of a Bible study. And we went through this book. You might be able to see it better on the screen. I'm not sure. Um, it's called Gospel-Centered Community by Robert H. Thune and Will Walker. Uh, it's a lesson-based book. So, like, the beginning of each chapter has, like, a big idea on what the chapter is going to be about, and then you read an article, and then there's exercises. Regardless of that, I think it's a great read for anybody. I'm going to be stealing uh, a little bit from, from this book, and so uh, highly recommend picking one of these up. This is part of a series that they do. Um, but that this book has just been incredibly influential in my life down there. And this passage that I'm going to be preaching to you today is very common in this book. Um, and actually, we're going to be cross-referencing another passage in Hebrews, which is also very common. So the two um, passages that we're going to be looking at are Hebrews 3.13, um, and that's going to be kind of more in comparison and retrospect. Our main passage today, though, is going to be Hebrews 10.22-25. through 25. And the reason I'm going to be preaching this sermon through the lens of community is because the type of community you surround yourself with shapes the way you live your life. The type of community you surround yourself with shapes the way you live your life. 
So if you haven't already done so, uh, I do encourage you to turn to Hebrews 10. I'm going to be starting in verse 19 uh, as far as reading goes. Um, it's going to be on page 1007 if you're using the Pew Bibles in front of you. And as a reminder, if you're visiting and you don't have a copy of God's Word uh, to call your own, you are more than welcome to take that as the church's gift to you. So, um, as I read this passage, I actually want to capture some of what my home church looks like down in Tuscaloosa. And so, if you guys wouldn't mind, if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19, it says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now something we do at our church after we read God's word is whoever's speaking says, um, I'm going to say... This is the word of the Lord. Would you please respond by saying, thanks be to God. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. You may be seated. God, I thank you for this opportunity um, to come and preach your word to these people. I just pray that you would allow me to get out of the way. Lord, would these words be yours and not mine? Um, And as Ryan prayed as well, would you open the hearts of all who hear to receive um, what you are trying to say and how you are trying to work through the sermon? And I pray that you would be glorified in all that is said uh, today. I just uh, thank you again for this time and pray that you would give me confidence and boldness um, to preach the, the good news and that I would not shy away from the truth. Um, it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, our outline is super, super easy to spot today. We've got our contexts and three commands or calls. And then we've got our application. And so even though The main text is technically verses 22 through 25. We're going to start with verse 19, like I read. And the first word you see there is therefore. And I'm sure we all know the age-old question, what is the therefore? Therefore. So we see that word and we automatically know that our context is key to understanding the full meaning of our text. So if we were to look back a little bit, Hebrews 8, 9, and the first 18 verses of 10, so pretty much all of 10 up until our passage today, talk about how Jesus has come as the better priest and the better sacrifice. And so this really is the gospel message, is it not? That God created a perfect world, that humans defiled by way of sin. 
Yet he saw fit to restore the world to its former sinless state. And so he chose the Israelite nation to be his blessed people. And as such, he commanded their worship. And by commanding their worship, he commanded that they have high priests who intercede with God on our behalf or uh, come between us and God uh, as a way for us to commune directly with him. And he also commanded that the Israelites offer sacrifices. And they didn't always obey God, uh, yet he spoke through the prophets of one to come, one who would be the better high priest and the better sacrifice. And that one, we know, was Jesus. He was born of a virgin, lived a perfect and sinless life, yet was crucified on the cross for our transgressions. Due to his innocence, he was the only one worthy to be that perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that would cleanse all mankind of their sins, if they simply believed that Jesus was the Son of God. But the story doesn't end there. Jesus Christ descended into hell after his death for three days, bearing the awful, full wrath of his Father. But on that third day, he rose again, conquering death forevermore. And he ascended to the right hand of God the Father, where he is seated now in this moment, interceding for us currently, which makes him the better and greater high priest. But he is not just the better sacrifice and the better high priest. He is the perfect high priest and the perfect sacrifice. And that brings us to what we're really going to be talking about today. Chapter 10, verse 22. It says this, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, when I first studied this passage uh, a couple summers ago in a, in a Bible study with a church nearby, uh, I had a good friend of mine who summarized our passage this way. He summarized it, faith, hope, and love. And that's a great way to summarize our passage today, but that's not how we're going to be looking at it. Um, I've kind of already hinted at that. We're really going to be focusing on the first two words of all three of our commands. And we see it right there at the beginning of verse 22, let us. And so that prompts me to talk about community. The us there means we as a body of believers. And so this, of course, gives me my title, A Call to Community. Um, And we're just going to move really quickly through this verse, phrase by phrase. Uh, The first four words here are command. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. So what does it mean to draw near? Well, I've got something here that I think paints a bit of a picture of what it looks like to draw near. I hope we all love dogs. Uh, So these are my two dogs. And so you can see here that Lily, the, the dark red one, is cuddled up pretty much as close as you can get. Um, to Brody, the, the lighter colored one there. Now, this isn't the greatest picture because sometimes Lily, especially when she was a puppy, would literally just lay on top of Brody um, and just completely fill up the, the whole bed. You can see the bed's not very big there, and they, uh, they, it's probably only big enough for one of them. <laughs> so, obviously, it's not a perfect comparison um, because God has ransomed us from death and destruction and despair, and Brody hasn't 
rescued Lily from any three of those. In fact, I think that Brody is the more scared of the two since we learned over this past 4th of July uh, with the fireworks. <laughs> um, but we cling to Christ because he is our only hope to salvation. We draw near because he is our adopted father. And we see that this is not just a call for us to draw near as a community to God. This is a call for us to draw near individually and have community with God on our own. And so we draw near to him out of thanks. Uh, this idea is reinforced um, by Psalm 5, verse 4. Uh, God cannot dwell with evil. Uh, we can't draw near to him unless we've been saved. And so the writer of Hebrews sets a few requirements towards the end of verse 22 there. He says, let us draw near, there's a command, and then here's the requirements, with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And this is really the first step in our sanctification process. And sanctification, that is the process of becoming more and more like Christ each and every day. And so the reason I say that this is more of our sanctification process, I almost feel like this is... That community is the catalyst for sanctification. And I genuinely think that um, we cannot fully draw near and become more and more like Christ without having a body of believers. And we're going to look more into that later. Uh, so the first step in our sanctification process is salvation. And only by Christ's perfect sacrifice, which we just talked about, can we be saved. And so we must have faith, which is where we get, you know, my first point, draw near in faith. Uh, we must have faith that he is seeking a relationship with us. He doesn't just save us like a genie and disappear. No, he wants to know us intimately and is actively seeking a relationship with us. He is our adoptive father. And so we draw near because we love him and we want to be close to him. And since we are called to community with God, we draw near in faith. There's the key words there, in faith. Because by faith, we have that full assurance that the writer of Hebrew was talking about, that he has ransomed us and is pursuing us and desires to know us. As we move forward in our process of sanctification through our community with God and with other believers, that leads us to... Um, various trials. And that's something that Jesus promises us in John sixteen thirty three, where he says, in the world, you will have tribulation. Not you might, not you could, not you should. It's you will 100% without a doubt. Jesus promises us we will have trial and tribulation. And when we think about trial and tribulation, I think we're prone to think of Worldly issues such as financial struggles, health problems, family tensions. Uh, and these are all, no doubt all certainly struggles. And I know uh, Jake Stokite, when he was preaching, talked a lot about that. Andy, in your sermon last week, talked a lot about that. But I don't think that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. And I'll explain to you why. Now, no doubt Jesus has victory over every single one of those struggles. But I don't think that's really what our passage is talking about here. Uh, let's take a look at our next verse. Hebrews 10.23, let's read it together. Let us, there's our call again, 
Uh, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Our second command, super straightforward and straight from Scripture, is just like my first point. And you can see it really, really clearly. It's to hold fast. The command is to hold fast. But to hold fast to what? And this is why I don't think the passage is talking about worldly trials. First off, we established that this section of Scripture has to do with community and therefore sanctification. And that means that whatever we're holding fast to has to do with community and sanctification with both God and others. Secondly, I think that the writer of Hebrews would tell us to hold fast to Christ. If we, were whole, if we were trying to withstand the worldly trials. And absolutely hold fast to Christ, but I think that's a lot of what he was talking about in his last point, or his last verse um, with drawing near, right? That's drawing near is what holding fast to Christ is. And here he says to hold fast to something different, and this is where I get my second point, hold fast to hope. Hold fast to the confession of our hope. And because of these reasons, I believe that the writer of Hebrews is talking about spiritual trials. Trials within the church. Persecution. Heretical teaching advertised as truth. Temptation. Idol worship. The list goes on. There are so many spiritual battles to be fought. And don't get me wrong, worldly trials, again, 100% a huge issue. Jesus has victory over those. That's not what we're talking about here. See, the writer of Hebrews is calling us to hold fast to our confession, to hold fast to the truth without wavering. You notice he says that there, without wavering, without giving any way to sin or false doctrine or any advancement of Satan's. Hold fast to the hope that he will come again that he will come again in glory and save us and restore this world that is so broken. Right, the last part of verse 23 says, for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Not only does he promise us that we will have trials, he promises us that he is faithful and that he will come again and he will restore. And so we need to have faith, and we need to hold fast to our hope. But how do we stand fast against these trials and temptations? Well, it's by way of community. And we're able to withstand trials in this world by pursuing community with both God and other believers. Listen to Ephesians thirteen uh, or Ephesians 6, verses 13 through 17. You've all heard it before. You all know it. It's the armor of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, or hold fast, stand firm, hold fast, very similar there, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. We just talked about faith in our last point, so there's our connection there as well. With which you can extinguish all, not some, all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so we hold fast. 
in our trials. We hold fast to hope through community with God, not just by spending time in the Word, right? The, the sword of the Spirit, right here. The gospel of peace, right here. We, we are able to withstand trials by spending time in God's Word. But it's not just God's Word. Look at verse 18, right after Ephesians 6, right, right after he talks about the armor of God, he goes on to say, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Prayer. Talking to God. It's super, super simple. Asking for strength to withstand the spiritual trials that we face. And yet Paul also sees the importance of community with fellow believers. I didn't read the second half of verse 18 here. Listen to this. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Right? Paul not only sees our need for community with God, he sees the importance of community with other believers so that we can have better community with God. We are supposed to look out for our fellow believers, right? He says they're making supplication for all the saints, praying for them, stirring them up, which brings us to the third and final point, which I'm sure you guys are have already guessed <laughs> uh, by way of the, the first two. And this is really the one that I don't want you guys to miss because this is the one that really drives home the idea of community with each other. Back to Hebrews 10, verse 24. Let us, another command, which, by the way, uh, I forgot to mention this. Pastor Steve told me uh, to call this a salad passage because there's a lot of let us. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> uh, so Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And right, that's my third point, right there. Stir up in love. And what's unique about this point here is that it's how we accomplish our first two points. And, well, what do I mean by that? Well, I touched on this a little bit in those points and the importance of community with other people, even though those verses really, really prioritize community with God. But I mean that we are called to draw near and we are called to hold fast. Both of those in relation to Christ. But stir up here is in relation to other believers. And so we hold fast and we draw near by way of stirring up each other. And so I don't think it's any secret that we follow Christ closer when we are together. We see the effects of sanctification through our community with God and with other people way more clearly. Uh, our sanctification, it seems as though, is accelerated. And that's why I almost subtitled this, and I mentioned this earlier. I almost subtitled this message, A Call to Community, Community as in the Catalyst for Sanctification. Because that's really what it is. We see the effects of sanctification clearer when we seek community with fellow believers. And so the first two points, as I mentioned, focused on community with God. But this point is all about brothers and sisters in Christ, and how we have fellowship with one another. But what does it look like to stir up? We're called to stir each other up for two things, but they go hand in hand. We're called to stir up each other to love, right, which is our point, but we're also called to stir up one another to good works. 
And what's really, really important to grasp here is this is not we are doing good works because we want to do good works. Rather, this is the process of sanctification. The more God works in us, then the more we love God. And if we love God, we will naturally love others. And out of this overflow of love, it allows us to do good works and walk in step with the Spirit and edify the brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't just say, oh, I'm going to be a really good person today and I'm going to do a lot of good works. No, rather our love for others comes through actions and good works that come as a result a natural result of our love for God. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't stop there, and that's why this is so important. He continues in verse 25 and says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And that right there is the key to this whole passage, church family. We cannot draw near, we cannot hold fast, and we cannot stir up if we do not have the constant Encouraging, and don't miss that word, encouraging fellowship with other believers. It's not just fellowship. Fellowship that isn't edifying to the body doesn't do anything. Encouraging fellowship is what's so important about this community. And that's why we prioritize a gospel-centered community, not just a community. And that's really why I wanted to preach this passage here. Because this is so relevant and important to me. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I go to the University of Alabama. University of Alabama was just ranked the top party school in the nation. And some might debate that, but it's unanimously top five, like without a doubt. Um, and so to give you some perspective for that, there are 358 Division One schools all of which, and probably some D2 and D3, that would be listed as a quote-unquote party school. And so that's the reality of the world I live in, in Alabama. I live in a place where there is so much darkness and sin and temptation and false ideologies, it would be impossible for me to walk through that alone without any sort of gospel-centered community. I need a strength way stronger than my own, and I find that through a gospel-centered community. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 3, verse 13, which is that other passage that I had mentioned, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, this is another promise. The writer of Hebrews is promising us that we will turn away from Christianity. This is not a we might turn away from Christianity. This is if you hang out with exclusively non-believers and have no believing community whatsoever, and you have no edifying community whatsoever, you will be conformed to the rest of this world. And that is so, so dangerous. To think that we, by our own strength, can withstand the temptations of this world is just so, so wrong and prideful and twisted. There's no way. And so that's why this passage, uh, both of these passages are so important to me. And this is why I use them so much in Alabama through my conversation with other people and other believers. 
this is a life and death uh, issue. And the urgency of this is not to be missed. And it's some, it, we can't look over this either. The deceitfulness of sin is how the writer of Hebrews phrases this, right? We often don't realize sin in our own lives until someone else points us out. And that is really why gospel-centered community is so important, because, right, sin is deceitful. We often don't see our own sin until it is brought up and we are held accountable by our fellow brothers and sisters. Sin finds a way into our lives before we have any idea that it's a problem, and yet God has been so gracious to me and placed a desire in my heart to yearn for a gospel-centered community, a community where Christ is preached and Christ is the salvation for all. He is freedom and victory over those sins and temptations. And each time I meet with them, I am so incredibly edified and encouraged uh, by my church body. I meet with people down there probably four times a week. Uh, And so there is no shortage of time spent with believers down there. And that is not to say that I don't spend time with other non-believers, you know, acting as a light. Um, But that's one way I've heard this said, is the writer of Hebrews is telling us that if we go into a dark place attempting to be a light, our light will be dimmed out if we don't have something constantly fueling that flame. And so I am always greatly encouraged when I spend time with this body of believers. And that encourages me and spurs me on to love them and do good works with them as well. But again, more than anything, we cannot miss the urgency of this. Just as the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 3, verse 13, that we are to encourage each other every day as long as it is called today, look at chapter 10 again, the end of verse 25, encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day, capital D, the day Jesus returns in all of his glory and splendor. Judgment day. The day when those who have not been saved are cast into hell forever. And I think of so many people, especially in Alabama, who claim to be believers, who don't have a gospel-centered community, who live completely differently from how they claim to believe and, and how they claim to live. And you see their actions, and you don't see the evidence of fruit. And you can't help but wonder if those are the people where the Lord will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. And how scary is that? And I spoke of Jesus' first coming at the beginning of the sermon in discussing how he has come, and he has become the better sacrifice, not just the better sacrifice, but the perfect sacrifice, and how he's become the better high priest, but the perfect high priest. We spoke of how to live between his first coming and his second coming by way of seeking community with each other and exhorting one another that we might be sanctified, and now we see the end. Jesus is coming. And what a glorious and wonderful day that will be, amen? A day when Christ will return and restore the earth to its perfect sinless state, just like he set that plan 
on the day that Adam and Eve sinned to restore the earth. And he will. And it's coming. And he promises us that. And we'll be right there with him having perfect community with him. And right, that is the goal, to have perfect community with each other and with God. Perfect unity. But there's a but. And it's only if we have been saved. If It's only if we have that faith. It's only if we draw near in faith that Jesus has come and was crucified, taking the punishment for our sins. It's only if we hold fast to the hope that Jesus Christ resurrected on that third day, defeating death forever. It's only if we stir up one another by God's grace and strength, not our own, to be made more like Christ each and every day until he comes again and calls us home, right? We've looked at three calls. We've looked at the call to draw near, to hold fast, and to stir up, and now we're being called home. And only then will we be able to live in that perfect community. And so I urge you, if you do not have the assurance that the writer of Hebrews talks about in verse 22 that you will be seated with Christ in heaven and that he is the only way that you can be saved. I pray that you turn to him as your only salvation because he calls you to community now. Not tomorrow, not next month, not in 10 years. He calls you to community now. And that's the urgency of this because we don't know the day when Christ comes again. And as we Christians hear the call in Hebrews to live in community with each other, let us look forward to that call, the call that all will hear, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of Lord. The call that brings us home, the call to a perfect community. Let's pray together. God, I thank you um, just for allowing me to come and present your word, and I pray that it was impactful and beneficial to all who heard. I pray, God, that as I prayed before, that these words would be yours and not my own, that I am simply an instrument of your choosing to speak your words. And I pray that your voice was heard and felt throughout this room today. And I just thank you for this blessed community of gospel-centered people, uh, this gospel-centered community of solid believers. And I thank you for the encouragement that they have all been to me. And I pray that we would not neglect to stir one another up, that we would continue to love each other and continue to serve out of humility and do good works not by our own strength, but by our overflowing love for you, God. Would we constantly be edifying each other and exhorting one another and keeping each other accountable? Would we prioritize that all, Lord, because that day is drawing near? I pray that we would just have a a blessed 
Lord's Day today. Just thank you again. It's in your name we pray. Amen.